Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another season of the Chinese Sayings Podcast. This is the seventh season of this ultra-niche podcast show that, may I remind you, my naysayers said would pod fade in no time at all. Still alive and kicking. Trust me when I say Emma and I, while everyone was enjoying themselves, we're working behind the scenes to give you another winning lineup of Yu's to add to your expanding collection. And for the Season 7 opener... Do I ever have a good one for you? All imbibers of early PRC history know this one, I'm sure. And no less a personage than Chairman Mao himself uttered today's four-character Chinese saying, Chun Wang Chi Han. Chairman Mao thought this one was so apropos, he used it himself back in the day. And Mao Zedong, if you could say nothing else about him, he knew his Chengyus, even invented a few himself. But the great helmsman wasn't the first one to use this ancient Chinese idiom. To find where it originated, you'd have to thumb through your copy of the Zuo Chuan, the Chronicles of Zuo, that detailed the history of eastern Zhou China from 722 to 468 BC, the spring and autumn period. That's where Chunwang Han comes from. Before we begin the story behind this four-syllable Chinese saying, let's first look at the characters that make up the idiom. Chun Wang Chi Han. Your Chun is your lip. And Wang means to lose or be gone, among other definitions. Chun Wang, the lips are gone. And a Chi is a tooth. Han means cold. And when you join all four characters together, you get lips gone, tooth cold. Not much of a clue. Therefore, in order to figure this idiom out, all we can do is check out the backstory from whence it came. So let's climb into our Wayback Machine and set the dials for the 650s BC. And our story takes place in the mighty state of Jin, at a time when Jin was riding high as the most powerful and consequential of the early Eastern Zhou era states. Co starring in this story are the much smaller and eh, mostly forgotten states of Guo and Yu. These two dukedoms went all the way back to the beginning of the Western Zhou and were both located very close to the Zhou ruling family, both politically and geographically. Like Guo and Yu, the state of Jin also went way back to King Cheng, the son of the Zhou dynasty co-founder, King Wu. King Cheng was famously looked after during the period of his minority by his regent, the Duke of Zhou. So these states all close to the king, all right near each other on the map, and all three were descended from the royal Qi family who founded and ruled the Zhou dynasty. Yu and Guo, eh, these two recognized their precarious situation, being small states, bordering a giant like Jin. So these two stuck together and always had each other's back. And up to now, eh, there hadn't been any major incidents. During the reign of Duke Xian of Jin, Jin Xian Gong, 676 to 651 BC, the Duke of Guo couldn't contain his aspirations to expand his state and grow his power. Often he would order his troops to attack and harry the borders of Jin. Now, Duke Xian of Jin was outraged at these attacks coming from Guo to his south, and he racked his brain trying to come up with a way to respond to such provocations but nothing came to mind. At last, Duke Xian, 
and went to his trusted advisor, Shun Xi, and asked him, oh, can't we just perform some kind of a eh, special military operation to attack the state of Guo and then annex them? Shun Xi replied, don't consider that option, your highness, unless you want to entangle yourself in a two-front war with Guo and Yu. Those two states are so close that you can't invade Guo without Yu coming to its aid. And we can't be confident that our forces are a match for their combined military power. Duke Xian sighed and said, uh, Then I guess our only option is to stand by and do nothing as our borders are constantly harassed by Guo forces. Xun Xi replied, well, Not exactly. I know that the Duke of Guo is easily distracted by beautiful women and losing himself to the pleasures of the flesh. I suggest that you send him a gift of a number of beautiful Jin women. And you mark my words, in no time at all, he'll forget his duties of state and with his eye off the ball, so to speak. Poor governance will soften them up and make Guo nice and ripe for an invasion. Duke Xian thought oh, this was an interesting notion and did exactly as Xun Shi suggested. After everything had been arranged and all these veritable beauties were sent down to Guo, just as Xun Shi had predicted, the Duke of Guo soon let matters of state fall to the wayside as he lost himself to the pleasures of this gift from Duke Xian of Jin. Seeing this, Duke Xian began calling for his Jin forces to prepare to invade Guo. But when Xun Shi heard about this, he came straight to Duke Xian and at once and said, Not so hasty, your highness. You've weakened Guo, but we still need to think of a way to prevent you from coming to Guo's aid. Now, I happen to know that the Duke of Yu is a man who treasures short-term gains over long-term profits. Because of this, I humbly suggest you make a gift of all of your most precious jades and your best horse. And in return for this gift, you then ask him for easy passage through you to attack Guo. And you listen to me when I say the Duke of Yu will not deny you. Duke Xian said, ah, That'll never work. For one thing, I'm not so sure I want to give up my most precious jades and my best horse just to defeat the state of Guo. I mean... It's such a small territory, not to mention the ruler of Yu will know for sure that I had just sent all those beautiful women to Guo. Won't it seem strange that we offer him such extravagant and, in fact, priceless gifts and then suddenly ask for safe passage to invade Guo? Xun Shi said, Well, as for your first point, you wouldn't really be giving up your jades and your favorite horse. If Guo falls, Yu is sure to follow. The two states have survived this long only because of each other's mutual aid. So when you falls, you'll get your jades and your horse straight back. And as to your second point, why, that's also easily resolved. Send a squad of men to go raid and harass Guo's borders with Jin. I guarantee you Guo's border officials will come straight here and will start berating you for allowing this then you'll have a convenient excuse to tell the Duke of Yu and that you wish to invade Guo to punish them for insulting you. And Duke Xian did exactly as Xin Shi advised and sent a few men to cause trouble on Guo's borders. And just as Xin Shi predicted, Guo sent emissaries to criticize Duke Xian. Thereupon, according to the plan, Duke Xian sent Xin Shi, along with his most precious jades and his best horse, to the state of Yu, 
When Xun Xi was able to get an audience with the Duke of Yu, he presented Duke Xian's fine horse and precious jades. The Duke of Yu almost couldn't believe the rarity and fineness of the gifts he had just been handed. He asked Xun Xi, Why has Duke Xian sent these gifts to me? These are famous treasures of your Jin state and much too fine to part with. Xun Xi replied, My master wishes to ask a favor of you. The state of Guo has often caused unrest along our southern borders and recently insulted Duke Xian besides. Well, my master wishes to punish them for their actions, and the easiest way to invade Guo is through your Yu state. Thus, I have been sent to ask for safe passage for the Jin armies to march through Yu on their way to Guo. If, by luck, we succeed in our mission, any bounty we capture will be, of course, shared with you. At this point, according to the words written in the Chronicles of Zuo, the Duke of Yu's advisor, Gong Zhiqi, he drew him aside. He said, Sir, you cannot grant Duke Xian's request under any circumstances. The states of Guo and Yu are like lips and teeth. Now, there's an old saying among the common folk that goes, Chun Wang, Chi Han. If the lips are cut off, the teeth will be cold. Guo is like the lips in this analogy. And we are the teeth. If they are harmed, harm will surely come to us. The Duke of Yu replied, Jin is clearly sincere in their intentions, or they wouldn't have sent us such priceless treasures. Even discounting the quality of their gifts, wouldn't it uh, be better to have a powerful friend like Jin instead of a weak one like Guo? No matter how much Gong Chi remonstrated with him, the Duke of Yu's eyes kept straying to the beautiful jades and the noble steed, and after silently calculating their worth, his mind was firmly made up to grant Jin's request. Gong Zhiqi knew that this meant the death of the state of Yu, so that night he packed his bags, took his entire family with him, and fled the region. In 655, the state of Guo was indeed annexed by the state of Jin. And just as Xun Xi had promised him, a portion of the spoils of their conquest were sent straight away to the state of Yu with a polite request to station their army in Yu just a little longer so that the tired soldiers could rest before continuing on to Jin. Without the benefit of Gong Chi's sober judgment, the Duke of Yu happily granted this request. And to no one's surprise, except his own, the Duke of Yu's state fell to Jin immediately after. And following this conquest, sure enough, just as Xun Xi had said, the Duke of Jin was able to reclaim all the precious gifts he had given to Yu. So this Chinese saying is used to describe any kind of relationship that is so close that when one party suffers, the other does too. It can be used in an international relations context, as well as an interpersonal context. This story also gave rise to the Chinese saying, Jia Tu Fa Guo, that is right out of the 36 stratagems. Borrow the resources of an ally to attack a common enemy. And once the enemy is defeated, use those resources to turn on the ally that lent them in the first place. And during the Korean War, when Kim Il-sung sent out an urgent SOS to Chairman Mao, the great helmsman knew, in this fight, the PRC and North Korea were as close as lips and teeth. And if the imperialists knocked out Kim Il-sung, the lips in this example, 
the teeth, meaning China along the North Korean border, would get cold. And for this reason, Mao had Marshal Peng Dehuai throw everything he had at the American-led forces. There's some dispute about who Chairman Mao called the lips and who was the teeth, but you catch the drift. This quote from Mao Zedong was translated in the press using the phrase, as close as lips and teeth. But what the good chairman actually said was, Chun Wang, Chi Han, if the lips are gone, the teeth get cold. We're all in this together. We have common cause. United we stand, divided we fall. If one of us is defeated, the other's sure to follow. This Chengyu is used to describe any interdependent diplomatic relationship where the stress suffered by one state will be felt by the other due to their closeness and interdependence. And like I said, you could also use this in describing alliances between people. Chun Wang, Chi Han, if the lips are gone, the teeth get cold. And that, mes amis, is going to be it for the season opener. Nine more coming over the next 18 weeks. Be sure to go to the website at teacup.media and download the handy list of all the Chinese terms used in this episode. A free service from all of us here at the Teacup Media Empire. Okay, one down, nine to go. A bigger than usual thanks goes out to Emma, now enjoying the beautiful Beijing winter. She got the new Chengyu Yanqiu Zhongxin up and running in Beijing in no time at all. Got a super deal on the rent, too. Thanks, Emma. Good job. Okay, that's it for episode one of this season seven of the Chinese Sayings Podcast. Laszlo Montgomery here, signing off from the town they call the City of Los Angeles. And I am cordially inviting each and every one of you to come back again next time for another thought-provoking and useful Chengyu here at the Chinese Sayings Podcast.